following audio is from St Nick's Durham. As a church, we exist to love God, love people and love Durham. We hope that this sermon will serve you well as a supplement to your regular Bible reading, prayer and participation in your local church. For more information about St Nick's Durham, directions or resources, please visit stnicks.org.uk. This evening's reading is taken from Exodus chapter 20, verses 13 to 21, continuing last week's reading of the Ten Commandments. I'll give you a moment to find the reading in your Bibles or on your phones. Exodus chapter 20, verses 13 to 21. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbour. You shall not covet your neighbour's house. You shall not covet your neighbour's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbour. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good evening. And let me uh, start by adding my welcome to that of Zoe, to each of you joining us tonight. Let's begin with a prayer. Faithful God, let your word be the treasure of our hearts, that we may delight in your truth and walk in the glorious liberty of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. In the New Statesman magazine earlier this week, various authors, intellectuals and luminaries were asked what art or cultural pursuit they turned to for solace in the midst of dark or difficult times. One of those asked was Rowan Williams, the former Archbishop of Canterbury. Now you might reasonably expect that Rowan would have chosen perhaps Russian poetry, uh, a novelist, or the writings of a desert saint. But in fact, for Rowan, it turned out that watching episodes of the American drama series The West Wing was what, as he described as his default choice for such times, and still his favourite comfort viewing. The Ten Commandments put in a number of appearances in the first series of The West Wing. The pilot episode includes a whole plotline around them, whilst in another, two of the characters, Sam and Leo, discuss the difficulties that might arise if anyone sought to place the commandments onto the statute books. In that episode, Sam turns to Leo and says, Did you know there's a town in Alabama that wants to make the commandments into law? Yes, I heard that, says Leo. 
What do you think about that? asked Sam. I think coveting your neighbour's wife is going to cause some problems, replies Leo. That's what I said, says Sam. Plus, if I was arrested for coveting my neighbour's wife, when asked about it, I'd probably bear false witness. We're coming and continuing our journey through the book of Exodus. And this evening we're on the second part of a two-part sermon on the Ten Commandments. Last week, Philip Pliming gave an excellent introduction. And if you did miss it, I'd invite you to go to our website and to download it and to hear Philip again as he preaches about the movement between God and his people, a movement of revelation, rescue and response. And so this evening, we come to part two of the Sermon on the Commandments with the verses read out to us earlier by Rebecca. So this evening, I want to continue our journey through Exodus by looking at three things. The nature of law, law as relationship, and finally, law as freedom. So first, the nature of law. The law has had a bad press this week. The police have been criticised for taking what has been described as an overzealous approach to maintaining some of the government regulations. One former Lord Chief Justice went so far as to suggest that such actions by the police are but one step away from living in a dictatorship or totalitarian regime. On Friday of this week, we heard that the Health Secretary uh, was saying that the instruction to people not to go out into the sun this weekend wasn't so much advice, but a clear instruction. In this time of crisis, there seems to be a debate taking place on the issue of individual freedom on one hand and the law on the other. I think a consideration of the Ten Commandments provides us with an opportunity to move between that dichotomy to a place where we can see the law, and in this case, God's law, ultimately perfected in Jesus, not as a restriction, but as freedom. We know from our history, not just of dictatorships, but also from democracies, that laws can be used as an oppressive tool to control or coerce groups of people. So, for instance, under the British rule in India, there was the introduction of salt laws and the introduction of the salt tax that exploited the poorest of the poor, who were forbidden from taking salt from the sea and mandated instead to buy it from an imperialist government. In the United States of America, laws of segregation were used to enforce the unequal treatment of black and white people, perpetuating an economic and social system of servitude dating back to the era of slavery. And in South Africa, we saw a whole system of law under apartheid, which legalised in statute the second-class citizenship of all non-white people, whose lives and opportunities were severely restricted solely due to the colour of their skin. It's telling that each of these laws led to movements which ultimately saw either the laws or those imposing them being removed and replaced. 
but not all laws are oppressive. The law can be a force for good. It can be life-giving and the foundation for flourishing. In our own country, just in my own lifetime, over the past 50 years, I think of the Sex Discrimination Act, the Equal Pay Act, the Race Relations Act, the Disability Discrimination Act and the Equality Act. All of them, laws passed to ensure a level playing field for those who are treated less favourably in society. So it's no longer legal or possible for boarding houses or hotels to put up signs they displayed in the 1970s which said, no blacks, no dogs and no Irish. Yet in our culture, where personal autonomy and choice have become the ultimate arbiters of what makes a good life, the commandments that we heard tonight are treated with suspicion, not least because they are all prohibitions. They are clear and terse in their instruction. You shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not, you shall not, you shall not. But as we are discovering in our lives at the moment, a prohibition can literally be life-giving. Do not congregate together. Do not go outside. Do not gather in your churches. All of these sound deeply unreasonable until we consider the alternative of what would happen if we simply lived without the consideration of our actions upon others. Some years ago, the evangelist J. John gave a series of talks based on the Ten Commandments called Just Ten. He would spend ten nights in any given city as a mission, speaking about each of the Ten Commandments under titles which highlighted the benefits each could bring. So the commandments we have heard tonight were retitled and recast. You shall not murder became How to Manage Your Anger. You Shall Not Commit Adultery was retitled A Fair Proof Your Marriage. You Shall Not Steal was retitled Prosper with a Clear Conscience. You Shall Not Give False Testimony became Hold On to the Truth. And You Shall Not Cover Your Neighbour's House, Wife, Servant, Ox or Donkey was retitled simply How to Find Contentment. Just 10 led to people rediscovering the benefits of the law through transformed living. They were a reminder that the scriptures are incredibly down to earth and practical when it comes to what life looks like to experience a relationship with God, to follow Jesus Christ and to live out a life of faith. I think this is one of the reasons why the Ten Commandments remain so important to us today. They are practical, objective and specific. One of the other impacts of the Just Ten series was the effect that it had on local communities. So for instance, whenever J. John spoke on the commandment, you shall not murder, he would set up amnesty bins outside the venue and ask his hearers to come the following day to dispose in the bins of any items which had only a destructive use or purpose. As a result, in various places he preached, there will be bins 
overflowing with guns, knives, and even ammunition. In Coventry, the bin was so full, the police sent armoured vehicle, and seeing the positive of the impact, the positive impact on the community, they began to promote the mission event by advertising it on the side of buses. So, having considered the nature of the law and its potential fruitfulness, let's move on to consider the law as relationship. The Israelites who received the commandments were not unused to living under law. For generations of slaves, they had been subject to the laws of Egypt dictated by successive pharaohs. But the nature of the law they lived under was designed to reinforce the fundamentally unjust nature of their relationship to Pharaoh as bonded labourers in servitude. The place of the law under Pharaoh stands in stark contrast with the place of the law under God. Rather than the tool of coercion under Pharaoh, the purpose of the law under God is transformed instead to become the basis of a relationship as God establishes a covenant with his people and the law becomes the basis of that relationship both with God and with one another. The law is no longer in this instance now designed to control or oppress, but rather to recognise who God is, who intervenes, who frees his people from slavery and fulfills his promises to them. It also becomes the basis of living together as a community with mutual rights and responsibilities. The Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann notes that as the Israelites enter into a covenantal relationship with God at Mount Sinai, where they receive the commandments. They move from being bonded labourers who have no choice in their servitude to a free people who become rebonded to new laws through choice. And the place of the law as the mediating relationship between God and his people becomes a narrative which extends throughout and beyond the rest of the Old Testament. Obedience to the law leads to flourishing and delight as lives lived in its light are celebrated in peace, purpose and contentment. We see evidence of this most readily in the Psalms where the law of the Lord as a basis of a relationship is a constant theme. So it is that we read in Psalm 1 in the first verses at the beginning of the book of Psalms Blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. And whilst there is joy to be found in obedience to the law, so there is also sorrow to be found in the neglect of it. The story of the people of Israel becomes one of a people who, when they turn their back on the law, lose sight of God and through that lose sight of their meaning and purposes as a people. We see this story 
being retold throughout the Old Testament, where times of crisis caused by this neglect and forgetfulness of God are followed by a rediscovery of the law, not least through the prophets, who point the people back to a place of loving mercy, walking humbly and doing justice with the Lord their God. So we have looked at the nature of law, law as relationship, and now finally, the law as freedom. If the giving of the law became the mediating basis for the relationship between God and his people in the Old Testament, then it is through Jesus Christ that the law is ultimately fulfilled, leading to Jesus being the mediating basis for our relationship with God today. The life, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ opens up for each of us the possibility of freedom that transforms the place of law, not as something to be fulfilled, but as something which has already been fulfilled. This is what Jesus means when he says in Matthew chapter 5, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish them, but to fulfil them. It's not so much that the benefits we have seen of obedience to the law of God are removed, but rather in Jesus, all of those come together in a stunning divine act of self-sacrifice, where our failures are taken by God upon himself, and we are set free from the wages of sin, death, and law-breaking. And this leads to a choice for each of us. Now that the obligation of the law has been fulfilled, how will we use that freedom given to us? Will we live lives of obedience in response to the love we have received as relationship? Or do we carry on regardless? How do we shape our lives in the mould of God's law fulfilled in Christ? Part of the answer, I think, is to be found in Jesus' response to the Pharisees who tested him with the question, Teacher, which commandment is the greatest in the law? Jesus declared in reply, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is this, Love your neighbour as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Jesus' reply not only sums up all of the Ten Commandments which we have looked at, but his reply also quotes from the Old Testament in different places, not Exodus 20, but Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus 19. In Deuteronomy, Loving the Lord your God means to bind the commandments to your lives, adhering to them with your heart and diligently passing them on to your children. Certainly that last is a challenge and opportunity for all of us with children at home over the coming weeks. And the context for the second great commandment is even more specific. 
It's an alternate version of the Ten Commandments, found in Leviticus 19, where to love your neighbour is rooted in justice. Do not steal. Do not oppress your workers. Don't curse the deaf or trip up the blind. Be impartial in judging between the poor and the rich. Do not hate others. Do not bear a grudge or take vengeance. These commandments, like those in Exodus, are intended to set us free. A choice to follow Christ and submitting to those commandments we have heard tonight, those prohibitions on murder, adultery, theft, bearing false witness and coveting, sets us free from lies, from envy, from lust, from jealousy, from hatred, competitive acquisition, dishonesty, one-upmanship, falsehood, rumour and malice. Jesus calls us to a life of repentance and faith that embraces his love and makes it the foundation for our love for others in lives marked by compassion, understanding, kindness and mercy. So what does it look like to live in this way? It looks like a life lived out in response to God's love, taking the commandments seriously through taking Jesus seriously. It looks like living a life transformed and touched by the love which provides us with a purpose and identity as disciples of Christ. It looks like a civil rights leader giving what turned out to be his last speech on the night before he was assassinated, talking of what it was like, knowing that there would be difficult days ahead, declaring his trust in God and saying he would live without fear, confident of the freedom he found in having seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. So I leave you tonight with that speech by that civil rights leader, with the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. Amen. We've got some difficult days ahead, but it really doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop. anybody I would like to live a long life longevity has its place but I'm not concerned about that now I just want to do God's will and he's allowed me to go up to the mountain and I've looked over and I've seen the promised land I may not with you. But I want you to know the night that we as a people will get to the promised land. So I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord.
Thank you for listening to the St Nick's Durham podcast. If you would like to hear more sermons and teaching like this, then subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about St Nick's, visit our website at stnicks.org.uk.